Many years ago, in the country of Norway, a young widow with two small sons sent a pair of shoes to the shoemaker for repairs. When the mended shoes were returned, the mother was surprised to find a religious tract tucked into each of the shoe. Shortly thereafter, curious about the tracks and with a parcel containing another pair of old shoes, she set forth for the half-hour walk to the shoemaker's shop. After concluding her business with the shoemaker, she hesitated briefly with her hand on the door latch, wanting, yet reluctant to ask, about the tracks. And as she paused, the shoemaker said, You may be surprised to hear me say that I have, can give you something more value than soles for your shoes. You speak in riddles, she answered. What can you, a shoemaker, give me better than soles for my son's shoes? The man did not hesitate. If you will but listen, I can teach you the Lord's true plan of salvation for his children. I can teach you how to find happiness in this life and to prepare for the eternal joy in life to come. I can tell you whence you came, why you are upon the earth, and where you will go after death. I can teach you, as you never known before, the love for God for his children on earth. The words pierced the heart of Anna Woodstow, whose husband, John Anderson Woodstow, had died unexpectedly just a year before. Her oldest son, John Andreas, was six years old, and her second son, Osborne, was just two months old. After the burial service, the young woman and her oldest son stood by the open grave while the cold words of the church funeral were spoken. Dust thou art, to dust returnest. With no promise of a future meeting in a happier place than man's earth, her life had since been lonely, and she was filled with many unanswered spiritual questions which her own religion had failed to satisfy. She asked the shoemaker a simple question. Who are you? He answered, I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ. We are called Mormons. We have the truth of God. As repaired shoes returned, there was always a new tract, and her curiosity finally <coughs> caused her to attend a Mormon meeting. Anne Widstow was an intelligent woman. She knew her Bible. Time after time, she attempted to vanquish the elders, only to be def- re- meet defeat herself. She insisted on debating and discussing points of uh, doctrine that she questioned, and finally, unwillingly, yet prayerfully, she became convinced that she was in the presence of eternal truth. At length, on April 1, 1881, a little more than two years after she first heard the gospel, she was baptized into the church. Thin ice still lay over the edges of the fjord, which had, had to be broken to permit the baptism. The water was icy, icy cold. She declared to her dying day that never before in all her life had she felt warmer or more comfortable than when she came out of that baptismal waters of old Trondheim Fjord. The fire within was kindled, never to be extinguished. The account is taken from a book titled In the Gospel Net, written by her elder son, John A. Widso, Anne's elder son, who later became an apostle and a member of the Council of the Twelve in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. What remarkable coincidence had brought about a repetition of similar episodes 
in the lives of people all over the world since 1830. It was on April the 4th, or 6th, 1830, following a chain of events succeeding a heavenly manifestation to Joseph Smith, a young farm boy, that in accordance with the divine instruction, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints was officially organized, with only six persons becoming the first legal members. Following other actions taken in connection with the organization, they went to the river, where several of them others were baptized and confirmed members of the Church. In April of 1980, the Church will observe its sesquicentennial and at, time, and at that time will have reached the estimated membership of more than 4,300,000 people. As I reflect on the marvelous work and wonder which has brought this about, I am persuaded to give glory to God and pay tribute to Joseph Smith, the prophet of the restored restoration, and to all God's holy prophets who have guided the Church under divine direction. Let us briefly review the early life of Joseph Smith. He was born December 23, 1805, at Sharon, Windsor County, Vermont, the son of Joseph Smith, Sr. and Lucy Mack Smith. In 1816, the Smiths moved to Palmyra, New York, and soon after to nearby Manchester. It was here that Joseph became aware of all the religious revivals and one day read a scripture in the Epistle of James, which reads, If any of you lack wisdom, any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. That, that scripture had great impact on the spiritual-minded boy, and as he reflected on its meaning, knowing in his heart that he needed God's help in determining which of all the churches was true, he retire, retired into the woods to offer his first vocal prayer. In a matter, manner graphically de described by Joseph in his own testimony, two personages appeared in a pillar of light above him, and one said, pointing to the other, Joseph, this is my beloved son, hear him. In answer to his question, he was told he must join none of the existing churches, and the reasons therefore were given to him. When he related the story of his vision to others, he was ridiculed, reviled, and told that there were no such things as re revelation and visions, that such things had ceased with the apostles, and there would be no more of them. He continued his daily pursuits for another three years, during which time he was greatly persecuted for having related the story of his vision. In September of 1823, he was again visited by a heavenly messenger who told him his name was Moroni and that God had a work for Joseph to do. The angel told him of a book written upon gold plates that was deposited in a nearby hill. The plates contained an account of the former inhabitants of the American continent and also the fullness of the gospel, everlasting gospel as delivered by the Savior to those ancient people. Joseph was instructed to visit the spot where the plates were deposited each year for four years. This he did, and on each occasion he was met and instructed by the angel Moroni until finally he was ready to receive and translate the plates. <clears throat> if any of you are already not familiar with the story of the coming forth of the Book of Mormon, I invite you to avail yourselves of the opportunity to do so. Read the book itself. 
which contains this promise in the last chapter. And when you shall receive these things, I would exhort you that you would ask God, the Eternal Father, in the name of Christ, if these things are not true. And if ye shall ask with a sincere heart, with real intent, having faith in Christ, he will manifest the truth of it unto you by the power of the Holy Ghost. And by the power of the Holy Ghost you may know the truth of all things." Unquote. It is the power <coughs> which bears witness to hundreds of thousands of converts each year that Joseph Smith was a prophet of God and that the Book of Mormon is true, that it is a companion book to the Bible and a new further witness to the divinity of Jesus Christ and a record of his dealings with the early inhabitants of America. Consider with me, if you will, the reasons for the strong testimonies that burn within the bosoms of the faithful and devoted millions who are members of the Church of Jesus Christ. Think of this 14-year-old boy seeking for the true Church and confused by the conflicting doctrines taught by ministers differing of differing denominations. I marvel at his being able to stand alone and suffer all manner of persecution because he could not deny the fact that he had seen a vision. His own <coughs> record states, I have since thought that I have felt much like Paul when he ma- made his defense before King Agrippa and related the account of the vision he had when he saw a light and heard a voice. But still there were but few who believed him. Some said he was dishonest, others said he was mad, and he was ridiculed and reviled. But all this did not destroy the reality of his vision. He had seen a vision, he knew he had, and all the persecutions under heaven could not make it otherwise. And though they should persecute him unto death, yet he knew and would know to his latest breath that he had both seen a light and heard a voice speaking unto him. And all the world could not make him think other or believe otherwise. Now I sorrow with him as he receives the plates and realizes the heavy responsibility in the work of protecting and translating them. With a little formal education, he was, has the monumental task of interpreting a foreign language. Yet the Lord was with him, and the way was opened whereby the needed scribes, publisher, and financial financing were provided. A writer in the New York Sun of September the 4th, 1843, stated, This Joe Smith must be set down as an extraordinary character, a prophet hero, as Carlyle might call him. He is one of the great men of this age, and in future history will rank with those who, in one way or another, have stamped their impress strongly on society. Then in a book entitled Joseph Smith, an American prophet. We read the following, written by John Henry Evans. This man became mayor of the biggest town in Illinois and the state's most prominent citizen, the commander of the largest body of trained soldiers in the nation outside the Federal Army, the founder of cities, and a university. He wrote a book, the Book of Mormon, which has baffled the literary critics for hundreds of years and which is today more widely read than any other volume save the Bible. On the threshold of an organizing age, he established the most nearly perfect social mechanism in the modern world and developed a religious philosophy that challenges anything of the kind in history. 
for completeness and cohesion. And he set up the machinery for an economic system that would take the brood of fear out of the heart of man, the fear of want, through sickness, old age, unemployment, and poverty." Of what great significance to the world are the contributions of Joseph Smith, the prophet? Let us consider some of them. Perhaps most important is the concept of the Godhead. The New Testament clearly establishes that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are three separate and distinct beings. Yet there are many in the Christian world who do not accept this or believe in a personal God in whose image we were created. The Father and the Son actually appeared personally to Joseph Smith to establish their personality and image. When the boy came out of that grove, he knew the facts that God is a form, form like a man. He speaks, he is considerate, kind, he answers prayer. He is a personal God, for he called Joseph by name. His son is like his son is a like and distinct person and is the mediator between God and man. The occurrence in the grove was a flat contradiction that revelation had ceased, that God no longer communicated with man. Old and New Testament scriptures repeatedly affirm the need for continuous revelation. Consider the words of Amos. Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servant, the prophets. Following the revelation, he received Joseph Smith taught with authority many truths recorded in the Bible, which previously had not been understood. Some of these are, we are spirit children of God, that we had a premortal existence, that we are in mortality to prove ourselves, and that if we are faithful, we can return to live eternally in the presence of God and through eternal progression become godlike. Another closely related teaching with the fatherhood of God and the sonship of man is the actuality of Satan, the devil. He is real, and he is determined to lead as many as he can away from the presence of God and into his captivity. Joseph taught the doctrine of free agency, that we are free to choose for ourselves good or evil with the resulting blessing or penalties. We read in 2 Corinthians, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. He gave the world a new concept of priesthood, that it is the authority given by God for man to act in his name. Through Revelation, he defined clearly all the offices and duties of priesthood, <coughs> from the deacon to the high priest, and they are so well described in the 107th section of the Doctrine and Covenants and the 144 years ago, and we are still following those instructions for organization and administration of Church affairs. This further demonstrates that this is the Church of Jesus Christ with the same organization organization that existed when he established his church in former times and with the same offices. Joseph Smith, through Revelation, taught a new concept of human body as the tabernacle of the Spirit. A man's body is sacred and is not to be violated, and any willful impairment is an affront to God, and therefore 
care of the body is of spiritual significance. To assist us in keeping our bodies as proper abodes for our spirit, Joseph Smith received revelation known as the Word of Wisdom, which, if followed, will bring great blessings to body and mind. The Prophet Joseph Smith taught of salvation for the dead, which, though taught in the New Testament, had not been understood nor practiced since the days of the Apostles. Along with this doctrine was taught the principle of eternity, of the family, of the family unit, and celestial marriage, which is for time and all eternity. What a glorious feeling of satisfaction and security it is to know that God and Jesus Christ actually live, that Christ is, in real, is the real, genuine person portrayed in the Bible and in modern scripture, who lived among and taught the people and blessed the children and the sick before and after his crucifixion and resurrection, and that he was interested in, the, in their welfare as he traveled from place to place. Why would anyone prefer to think of himself as a, to think of him as a mythical being or as a great philosopher, but deny that he is literally the Son of God? Having faith in Christ is essential to our salvation, and the purpose of his mission on earth was to teach us what we must do. He repeatedly said, Repent and be baptized. And he set the pattern in his own baptism by immersion, by immersion performed by John the Baptist. And that time he, at that time he said, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. His last instructions to his disciples were, Go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. He made it clear that all the saving ordinances must be performed by those called of God and set apart by those having authority to preach the gospel and administer the ordinances thereof. He talked of the falling away and the restoration as prophesied by old and new prophets. John the Revelator made this significant statement, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. I wish to bear my testimony to all those who are within the sound of my voice this morning that the angel has flown and the everlasting gospel has been restored and that the Church of Jesus Christ has been established on the earth with the power to administer its ordinances, the power of the priesthood, which is the power of God delegated to man to act in his name and officiate in the ordinances of the gospel. It was conferred upon Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery by ancient Peter, apostles Peter, James, and John. The heavens are as open today as they were in the days of Peter and James and John and Paul and all the rest of the early apostles. God still answers prayers of the righteous and still reveals his will through a prophet to the established Church of Jesus Christ as Adam and Noah and Abraham and Moses have been chosen by God as his prophets in their respective dispensations 
in which they lived, so was Joseph Smith chosen in these the latter days and called of God as his prophet, seer, and revelator. The Church is fulfilling its divine injunction to preach the gospel to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. Our missionaries, over 28,000 of them, are preaching the same simple truths that were taught by Christ, by, <coughs> pardon me, by Christ while he was on the earth. The first and great commandment being, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. We teach that the first principles and ordinance of the gospel are, first, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, second, repentance, third, baptism by immersion for the remission of sins, and fourth, laying on of hands for the gift of the Holy Ghost. We believe that God still speaks <coughs> to His people on the earth today and that the Church is being led by a prophet of God, even Spencer W. Kimball, through whom the Lord speaks. The gospel message is sweet. It is a message of peace and goodwill. It is the only way, <coughs> the only thing that will bring peace to the world and offer salvation and exaltation to all who will accept it. May this testimony come to everyone who is seeking the truth. Is my prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Religions and doctrines of men originating with men cannot bring salvation to a child of God. The Lord counsels man in the Holy Bible that God's ways did not come from man or from this earth. He said, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The thoughts and ways of God provide for man the greatest opportunities and blessings of this life. <clears throat> The Lord gave man one of the highest goals for this life when he said, And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. The Lord also commanded man, and it is known by almost all Christians, Well, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. To know and love God are sacred blessings. One of the ways that we can come to know God and Jesus Christ is through sincere prayer. The Lord commands, Pray always, and I will pour, <clears throat> pour out my Spirit upon you, and great shall be your blessings, yea, even more than if you should obtain treasures of the earth. In the Bible we are con commanded to pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Prayer to God will give you power to conquer and overcome the evil powers and influences of Satan and this world. The Lord said, Pray always that thou may come off conquer, yea, that you may conquer Satan, and that you may escape the hands of the servants of Satan that do uphold his work. Prayer to God is a sacred blessing. The Savior again counseled man on how to pray, and we know the Lord's Prayer well. The Lord said, After this manner, therefore, pray ye, 
Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. We should pray to our Father in heaven with a hallowed heart. We should pray for his kingdom to come, and by so doing we commit ourselves to help build the kingdom of God on this earth. As we pray that the will of God be done on earth as it is in heaven, we commit ourselves to do the will of God. We should thank God for our daily bread and ask him to help us provide the necessities of this life. We should ask our Father for forgiveness for our sins and weaknesses and commit ourselves to repentance to the task of informing and improving in a sacred way our godlike minds and bodies. We should ask our Father to help us meet the temptations of this life and to deliver us from evil. When we pray from our hearts and say, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, we commit ourselves. Remember, the kingdom of God, the power of God, the glory of God should be man's most cherished and important blessings and goals in this life. So important is the need to pray that the prophet Nephi taught that ye should not perform anything unto the Lord, save in the first place ye shall ask unto the Father in the name of Christ that he will consecrate thy performance unto thee, that thy performance may be for the welfare of thy soul. But behold, I say unto you that ye must pray always, he said, and not faint, that ye must not perform anything unto the Lord, save it in the first place Ye shall pray unto the Father in the name of Christ, that he will consecrate thy performance unto thee, that thy performance may be for the welfare of thy soul. To to pray meaningfully requires that one, insofar as possible, knows the true character of God. As mentioned, we have been commanded to know God. Prayer leads to salvation, and ignorance is a deterrent to that goal. Jesus Christ promises man complete forgiveness if he repents, confesses, and forsakes his sin. Jesus gave these comforting words to to those that repent. He said, Behold, he who has repented of his sins, the same is forgiven, and I, the Lord, remember them no more. By this you may know if a man repenteth of his sins. Behold, he will confess them and forsake them. We should build that message into our hearts and purify and build our minds and bodies in a godlike way through continued use of prayer, obedience, and repentance. Since prayer is a very important part of confession, confession must be to God as well as to others. The Savior promises answers and blessings as the rewards for sincere prayer. Taught and promised, <clears throat> He taught and promised and asked, and it shall be give, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth. And he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. We should live and work, watch and wait, and continually pursue life prayerfully, repentantly, and purposefully. A prophet of God counsels man to pray always with these words. 
And now, my beloved brethren, I perceive that ye ponder still in your hearts, and it grieveth me that I must speak concerning this thing. For if ye would hearken unto the Spirit which, which teacheth a man to pray, ye would know that ye must pray. For the evil spirit teacheth not a man to pray, but teacheth him that he must not pray. But behold, I say unto you that ye must pray always, and not faint, that ye must not perform anything unto the Lord save in the first place ye shall pray unto the Father in the name of Christ, that he will consecrate thy performance unto thee, that thy performance may be for the welfare of thy soul. Enos, a servant of the Lord, and this has been quoted a time or two in this constant conference, so apparently the Lord wanted emphasis on this. Enos speaks on the power of sincere prayer, and the Lord answers in his life. He said, I will tell you of the wrestle which I had before God before I received a remission of my sins. Behold, I went to hunt beasts in the forest, and the words which I had often heard my father speak concerning <clears throat> eternal life and the joy of the saints sunk deep into my heart, and my soul hungered. And I kneeled down before my Maker, and I cried unto him in mighty prayer and supplication for mind and soul. And all day long did I cry unto him. Yea, and when the night came, I did still raise my voice high that it reached the heavens. And there came a voice unto me, saying, Enos, thy sins are forgiven thee, and thou shalt be blessed. And I, Enos, knew that God could not lie, wherefore my guilt was swept away. All of us, like Enos, need to continually have our sins and weaknesses swept away through repentance, confession, and sincere prayer. I repeat the Lord's promise, Behold, he who has repented of his sins, the same is forgiven, and I, the Lord, remember them no more. By this you may know if a man repenteth of his sins, behold, he will confess them and forsake them. Repentance will purify and cleanse the mind and body and make room for greater perfection and godliness. King Benjamin, when speaking to his people about prayer and repentance, gives valuable counsel on receiving answers from God. He taught, Believe in God. Believe that He is, and that He, is, and that he created all things, both in heaven and in earth. Believe that He has all wisdom and all power, both in heaven and in earth. Believe that man doth not comprehend all the things which the Lord can comprehend. And again, Believe that ye must repent or your sins of your sins and forsake them, and humble yourselves before God, and ask in sincerity of heart that he would forgive you, and now if you believe all these things, see that you do them. And again I say unto you, as I have said before, that as ye have come to the knowledge of the glory of God, or if ye have known of his goodness and have tasted of his love and have received a remission of your sins, which causes such exceeding great joy in your souls, even so I would that ye should remember and always retain in remembrance the greatness of God and His goodness and long-suffering towards you. And humble yourselves, even in the depth of humility, 
calling on the name of the Lord daily, and standing steadfastly in the faith of that which is to come, which was spoken by the mouth of the angel. And behold, I say unto you, that if ye do this, ye shall always rejoice and be filled with the love of God, and always retain a remission of your sins. And ye shall grow in the knowledge of the glory of him that created you, or in the knowledge of that which is just and true. The scriptures give us many promises regarding the power and the need of personal prayer. Jesus commanded man, he must watch and pray always, lest ye be tempted by the devil, and ye be led away captive by him. And as I have prayed among you, even so shall ye pray in my church, among my people, who do repent and are baptized in my name. Behold, the Lord said, I am light, I have set an example for you. Behold, verily, verily, I say unto you, the Lord continued, You must watch and pray always, lest you enter into temptation. For Satan desireth to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Therefore you must always pray unto the Father in my name. And whosoever, and whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, which is right, believing that ye shall receive, behold, it shall be given unto you. <clears throat> End of quote. Jesus Christ counsels man to have family prayer. He said, Pray in your families unto the Father, always in my name, that your wives and your children may be blessed. Very few pray too much. It is not one of our weaknesses. Parents have the sacred responsibility to teach their children the importance and value of prayer and the responsibility to teach their children how to pray. In many homes, even some of the best, prayers are ignored and neglected. Prayer is sacred, and Jesus said, Trifle not with sacred things. Another blessing available through prayer is feeling the love of God in your heart and soul. We have in the scriptures this sacred promise. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, pray unto the Father with all thy energy, all the energy of thy heart, that ye may be filled with this love, which he hath bestowed upon all who are true followers of his Son, Jesus Christ. She may become the sons of God, that when, ye shall appear, when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, that we may have this hope that we may be purified even as he is pure. As the sons and daughters of a living God, a living Heavenly Father, we should stay close to him by humble prayer. We should stay close to him with a clean life, that our hearts may find peace in all, the life, all of life's sacred opportunities and blessings. I so pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. I shall speak as a second witness to the things of which President N. Eldon Tanner has just so eloquently and fervently testified. We have some words to speak to the world at large. We address ourselves particularly to those inquiring minds who desire to hear some new doctrine, to see some strange sight, 
to unravel, shall we not say it, the greatest mystery of the religious world, the mystery of Mormonism. We are a peculiar people. We are a congregation of true believers who are unique and different from all others. We are the saints of the Most High who are assembling together in many nations to build up Zion and to prepare a people for the second coming of the Son of Man. We are called Mormons. Many people look upon us as a singular sect as they cry, delusion, false prophets, polygamy, as once was so common, or racists, anti-women, patriarchal dictators, as some now say, or worshipers of Adam and deniers of Christ and his grace, as others falsely acclaim, or whatever sophistry of the moment will sow the seeds of prejudice among those who otherwise might learn who we are and what we believe. Oftentimes it seems to us that these cries from shallow minds and these self-serving statements of those who resent our rapid growth and increasing influence in the world, and these voices whose social and political views we do not espouse, are but another evidence of the truth and divinity of the work itself. The devil is not dead. And as his voice was once raised in cries of crucify him, crucify him, so it now shrieks in shrilling hysteria against his people in this day. We feel it is not too much to ask, in this age of enlightenment and open dialogue, to let us be the ones who tell who we are, what we believe, and why our cause is going forward in such a marvelous way. We glory in our designation as a peculiar people. It is our desire to be unique, different from other men, because we have forsaken the world and made a covenant to live godly lives and walk in paths of truth and virtue. It is our hope that it may ever be said of us, as Peter avouched of the true believers in his day, Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, out of a decent respect for the views and concerns of our fellow men, Christian and non-Christian, Jew and Gentile alike, we shall set forth some of those things which we believe and know to be true. Our way of life, the security and joy that fills our soul, our hope of glory and honor hereafter all grow out of our doctrine, out of our theology, out of the revealed truths that have come to us. 
And if we have a better way of life, surely those who are honest in heart will desire to know what we believe and how it changes and uplifts men. And so, in words of soberness, we say, There is a God in heaven, a glorious personage, a holy man, who knows all things, has all power, and is infinite and eternal. He is the supreme being, the eternal absolute, the creator and peopler of worlds without number. He is our Father in heaven, and he lives in the family unit. We are his spirit children. All of us dwelt in the eternal presence before the foundations of this earth were laid. We have seen his face, heard his voice, and felt his spirit. He ordained and established the laws whereby his children might advance and progress and become like him. These laws constitute the plan of salvation. They are the gospel of God. This glorious gospel called for the creation of this earth as a place where man would come to gain a mortal body and be tried and tested as he walked by faith. It called for the fall of Adam so that temporal and spiritual death would enter the world and pass upon all men. It called for an infinite and eternal atonement wrought by one who would be the only begotten in the flesh, which atonement would ransom men from their fallen state. The Lord Jesus Christ, the firstborn of the Father, was chosen for this high and exalted labor. He was born of Mary in time's meridian and was crucified for the sins of the world. Thus salvation is in Christ. It comes through his goodness and grace and because of his atoning sacrifice. He came to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. He is our Savior and Redeemer. His was a ministry of mediation and of reconciliation. He brought to pass the great and eternal plan of redemption Because of him we can be justified, we can be sanctified, we can be saved with an eternal salvation. He is our God and we are his people, and we sing praises to his holy name forever. On our part, to give full efficacy to his atonement and to claim for ourselves the cleansing power of his blood, We must believe in him and in his Father, repent of our sins, covenant in the waters of baptism to love and serve them all our days, and then receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Thereafter, guided by that holy monitor, we must walk in the light, keep the commandments, and overcome the world. Such is the plan of salvation for all men in all ages. Such is the plan that has been revealed from age to age so that fallen man might work out his salvation 
with fear and trembling before the Lord. And now, hear it, O ye heavens, and give ear, O earth. The great God, who is Father to us all, who loves all his children and who pleads with all men to repent and be saved, the great God in heaven above has commenced the promised restoration of all things. He speaks, the voice of God is heard again. He appears, mortal man once more sees the face of his maker. He commands the word of truth, the gospel of his Son, goes forth anew. As the Father was in Christ manifesting himself to the world in the last dispensation, so in our day the Son becomes his voice and witness and revealer. This is my beloved Son, hear him, the Father says in the spring of 1820. From that moment, the divine word pours forth, line upon line, precept upon precept, as rapidly as the saints are able to receive it. The Book of Mormon is revealed, translated, and published to the world by the gift and power of God. The truths in the Bible are reaffirmed, and new revelations come setting forth things which few have known from the foundations of the earth. Angelic ministrants also come. They confer upon mortals keys and powers and priesthoods. John the Baptist confers the Aaronic priesthood with all its keys and powers. Peter, James, and John bring back the Melchizedek priesthood, the holy apostleship, the keys of the kingdom, and the divine commission to preach the gospel to every creature. Moses comes, commanding that Israel be gathered the second time. Elijah brings the sealing power, so that once again man can bind and loose both on earth and in heaven. And so it is gone until the gospel has been restored in its everlasting fullness until the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has been perfected, until the kingdom of God on earth has been established and is rolling forth clear as the sun, fair as the moon, and terrible as an army with banners. This holy gospel is for the salvation of the living and the dead. They with us may become heirs of salvation when they believe and obey in that eternal world. Ours is the privilege of performing for them the ordinances of salvation in holy temples built for that purpose. By the power of the gospel, we are gathering Israel as literally as Moses did. Hundreds of thousands of converts have forsaken their all in the Egypt of the world to enter a land of promise with the saints. In this Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we worship a God of miracles who has given us the same gifts enjoyed by the ancients. We do not boast, yet it is no secret 
that among the faithful, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, and the dead are raised. We also have the same organization that governed in the earthly kingdom in Jesus' day. Apostles and prophets speak and minister as of old. Among us, women and the family unit are held in higher esteem than anywhere else on earth. Our mothers and wives and daughters receive greater honors, perform more responsible labors, and develop their native talents to a greater degree than do any of the women of the world. Indeed, the whole aim and purpose of the gospel is to enable men and women, united as one in the Lord, to create for themselves eternal family units in eternity. Celestial marriage prepares us for the greatest joy and happiness known to mortals and for eternal life in the realms ahead. May we say, as many have done before, that what men call Mormonism is the very system of laws and truths which will make of earth a heaven and of man a God. What then is the mystery and wonder of it all? This glorious gospel, this perfect plan of life and salvation, this mystery of mysteries, this Mormonism, if you will, is the eternal truth of heaven. It is pure diamond truth. It is the voice of God calling to his children. It is revelation and angels and visions and gifts of the Spirit. It is the Holy Ghost bearing record to a contrite soul. And it is that same Holy Spirit cleansing and sanctifying the obedient so that they can go where God and Christ are and dwell with them eternally in the heavens. It may be a mystery to the carnal mind, but it is plain and clear and sweet to those who are born of the Spirit so as to be able to see the kingdom of God. In conclusion, let us hear a prophetic voice. We prophesy. It is my voice you hear but it is the united voice of all my brethren which speaks. We prophesy that this great latter-day work will come off triumphant, that the great God will guide the destinies of his people, that this kingdom of God, now set up on earth, will roll forth until the kingdom of heaven shall come until the Lord Jesus Christ shall come again in the clouds of heaven to reign gloriously among his latter-day saints. And we invite all who will to come and partake of the goodness of God that they may gain peace in this life and be inheritors of eternal life in the world to come. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.